This is Bragging Rights, a show all about college football, where the conversations are lively, the topics are trivial, and the hosts are semi-knowledgeable. And now, here are your hosts, Madison and Pierce. Welcome in to another edition of Bragging Rights. Week five is in the books, and it was a quite a week for us. We are still riding high from the Georgia victory over Auburn, the smashing, as one might say. But uh, things still loom. A little bit of a difficulty for us here, so, so we will see what happens. But we'll break that all down, including the rest of the week five uh, matchups, what we picked, go through our good, our bad, and our uglies. But before we get into it, I've got to introduce my co-host. I'm Madison, and I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Pierce. Pierce, how are you? Outstanding. Outstanding. How could you not be after the weekend we had? Um, not yeah, just... Yeah, you had double. TCU won, too. I was going to say, throw some respect on their name. That was uh, that might have been... I guess it wasn't the biggest upset. Iowa State's up there. Um, but yeah, TCU. I, and I, I'm pretty sure I called that, uh, if I do say so myself. So, mm-hmm. but, but one of those weekends, going back to it, you know, regardless of how my teams fared, it felt like finally, and, and I know we've said this a lot, but it felt like finally there was it was normal. There were some actually surprisingly loud crowds uh, for you know minimal fan uh, attendance. That being said, it just felt like a normal weekend. You know, you've had some, it, even though it's interconference games, there were kind of some cupcakes the first week. There mm-hmm. weren't any big time matchups. This was this had the first weekend of some heated rivalries and some big time games and big time playing. And uh, yeah, I mean, so how can you not be excited? It it's, uh, sets the tone moving forward. Sure, certainly. And uh, to your point, it kind of felt like finally, oh, football's back. Like it's been back and we've had football to watch, but this was the first weekend where it felt like, okay, and maybe it's because we had teams that were in these rivalry games, but it finally felt like, ooh, okay, all right, we're here. We're here. It's time. It's time to actually watch some, some good football as well, um, as, you know, as some of these Lesser games that we've been watching. Uh, and hey, hey, can't put this past uh, what happened in uh, Tallahassee. But Knowles hung on to get the win over Jacksonville State. Wasn't That's pretty. pathetic. It was not pretty. Pathetic. It, you know, funny thing, though, I, I said this before. If you just looked at the box score and didn't really know what happened in the game, you'd say, okay, well. Yeah, 41-24, great. Yeah, considering how bad they, they've been, you know, 17 points, eh, it's not great, but at least they got a win. But knowing yeah. how it uh, the first half went. <laughs> and one of the traditions that Mike Norvell has brought along through his coaching career is that when you win, you get to smash the rock. So I guess, like, there's a rock that they all sign their name to. And when they win, they get to take a sledgehammer and smash it. And... You know, you gotta, you have to have some morale boosters as a program. So while it's good to celebrate your first win under your new head coach and everything of that nature, um, not amazing to be celebrating hardcore over a win over Jacksonville State. But I also was in the crowd when they almost lost to Samford. So certainly I understand that this program's been down for a while. It's it, who, and this it really sucks because the rest of Florida football is back. Miami. I'm starting to really, we'll see. They've got Clemson this next week, but I'm kind of feeling that the Miami train, Florida looks all back, offensively at least. So really stinks to be a Knowles fan right now, but hey, that's neither here nor there. I feel like we, uh, we we always text each other. We're like, God, I feel like we ragged on Florida State pretty hard this week. Yeah, I had to take them out of a uh, couple of my key points this week uh, out of respect for, for that program. Yeah. That being said, you know, I will say going back, it's not a – it's going to look awkward, but especially in your first year, you know, first few months uh, of actual football, you've got to establish those. You got to, it's minor victories, mm-hmm. especially when you know you're undermanned and outgunned on in every game. And, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be underdogs. And I know they expected to win the Georgia Tech game, but it was pretty clear Georgia Tech had just as good a team, if not better. So, um, small victories for them. Good to see them get a win. Hopefully, you know, they get a little momentum now. Absolutely. Well, hey, that's going to bring me into uh, the next segment, which is the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is where we pick a performance that was good, a performance that was bad, and a performance that was downright ugly of the week. Pierce, my good performance of the week, to your point, getting that first win, getting over the hump, feeling like there's a morale booster. People had written the Arkansas Razorbacks off this season. Everybody said, oh, especially with the All-SEC slate, they're not going to win a single game. They hired a position coach as a head coach, someone who hasn't even been a coordinator before. I am guilty of being one of those people of saying, oh my gosh, there's no way Sam Pittman gets this done. But he went out and he got the right 
people for his for the system he wanted to run at Arkansas he went in the biggest hire and the one that shined or shown I guess would be the better way of saying it I don't know grammar uh in the win over Mississippi State this past week for the Arkansas Razorbacks was Barry Odom he had this defense dialed in against this air raid with Mike Leach and he did what Bo Pelini wasn't willing to do which was really schematically look look at it and break it down and see the kind of player KJ Costello is it's not like this is the first time we've seen Mike Leach ever coach an offense he's he's done this for years and years now so we know what he likes to do and the way you have to confuse him as a defense and his his quarterback as a defense and he totally exposed the Mississippi State offense uh good for the Arkansas Razorbacks that is the first win for them since 2017 when they beat Ole Miss that was the Bielema era, Pierce. Chad Morris didn't get it done. An SEC win, I should say. They went 2-9 two, two years in a row with Chad Morris. First SEC win since 2017. Good for Sam Pittman. Good for the team. They gave him the game ball. It made me a little misty-eyed to watch Sam Pittman get presented that game ball from his team uh, because this just means a lot to the boys in Fayetteville. Now, I don't think that they're necessarily going to go on a tear and win a bunch of the uh, you know rest of the games on their slate, but that's a really, really good win for them. Like I said, Barry Odom absolutely had it dialed in, and uh, that's my good performance of the week that Arkansas uh, was able to get it done versus Mississippi State, who everybody was really high on the bandwagon after their beating down of LSU. So, uh, you know, hey, the SEC West is really weird this year and uh, good for Arkansas to capitalize. What I say? What did I say uh, last week? Buy low, sell high. And the only game I didn't do that in was Oklahoma. Uh, but you saw it, it that that worked out last week. And yeah, kudos on uh, Sam Pittman and Barry Odom and company was, and, the, and those guys down there. Great for them to get a win in what three years? Uh, yes, in 2017. Incredible. Good for them. My bad or my good switching to the other side of the SEC. Gotta show some uh, well-earned uh, and much-deserved credit to the Tennessee Volunteers. They haven't gotten much. They've been ridiculed over the last, you know, f- shoot, eight years. They really came out, and, and and I mentioned this this to you. What have they done poorly in the last few years? Shoot, even going back six, seven, eight years, it's they can they can show up in the big games sometimes. But then they'll lose these crummy games to a team like Missouri, who they had this week. But what you saw this week was Missouri coming in, thinking they were going to have a chance, coming off of Alabama, covering that covering that point total. And Tennessee said, uh-uh, uh-uh. We're going to let our big boys eat up front. We're going to let Eric Gray and Ty Chandler go to work. And it doesn't matter if we don't get over 200 yards of, of, of passing offense. The fact of the matter is we're an SEC team with SEC line of scrimmage play, and we're going to run it down your throats. And that's what they did. Eric Gray, over 130 yards of, uh, of rushing offense there. Ty Chandler, also uh, national product, put up 90. Um, and the offense looked good. Cade Mays, first game back, he really really kind of shore up that, that offensive line that's already really good, but just kind of gave him that extra piece to the puzzle. And, you know, they've got a tall task moving ahead, but it's nice to know that they are, are moving in the right direction because the SEC East and the SEC in general is a much better conference when Tennessee's relevant. And, and hey, who's not to say they, can, uh, they can't surprise some folks with uh, a couple games against, you know, the, the Bamas of the world, the Floridas of the world, and the Georgias of the world. Absolutely. All right, my bad performance of the week, Pierce, is us having to watch the irrelevant Red River Red River rivalry next week. That's a game that everybody always circles and gets super excited about. It's the biggest matchup in the Big 12 by far every single year. It's often deciding who is going to uh, move forward from the Big 12 and become the emerging leader to potentially make the playoffs. It was going to be a great week next week. We were going to have at 11 o'clock the Red River rivalry. Ooh, I said it right that time. Uh, and then at 3.30... Rolls off the tongue, huh? Uh, ooh, I tell you what. said that 10 times fast. Uh, then at 3.30, we were going to have the um, Tennessee-Georgia game. And then... At nighttime, we were going to have Miami-Clemson. It was going to be three spectacular matchups. And then both Texas and Oklahoma go out and lose this past week. And I will say the Texas loss was a little bit more uh, honorable for Oklahoma to lose back-to-back to Kansas State and Iowa State. Now, I understand that both of those teams are better than they've been in the previous years. But this was an Oklahoma team who makes the playoff every single year. This was an Oklahoma team that just needs to plug in it, you know, just reload at quarterback and just is so great at offense. And Lincoln Riley only has five plays and he just dials it up every single time. And he's just got, you know, the Big 12 figured out like the back of his hand. What the heck? That's all I got to say about that. I'm kind of glad they're getting exposed this early in the season so that we don't have to watch them in the playoffs and get blown out again by another team. 
Pierce, it's it's not good. They need to figure out their defensive situation. Here's the thing. The first Big 12 team to figure out a defensive situation is going to be incredibly dominant. And Gary Patterson has that had that dialed in a little bit this past weekend. You know, he's certainly better along those lines. But Lincoln Riley, it's like, hey, let's just go out there and let's just try to score as many points as possible. We're, we don't know how to tackle. We don't know the basics of defense. Uh, and, and if Spencer Rattler goes out there and doesn't perform, he's got to put the whole team on his back. And if he doesn't perform they have a stinker of a game and that's what we saw on Saturday. So, uh, you know, the big 12, it's starting to slowly, but surely look like they might not make the playoffs. Great, great uh, opportunity for the PAC 12 to finally put their money where their mouth is and try to get somebody in. Also a good opportunity for the committee to finally put in a potentially a group of five school. Like they've been, you know, kind of toying with the past few years. What's likely going to happen is it's going to be two sec teams, but that's potentially good for us as Georgia fans. But I'm not looking forward to this red river rivalry next week because of the fact that it's just, it doesn't have the, oomph that it usually has because quite frankly doesn't I mean I guess it means a little bit for Texas bragging rights for them you know in the big 12 it's huge but but now you really look at Oklahoma State and now you're really watching them and saying that's the best bet to have somebody out of the big 12 so yeah and and let me just go ahead and say Oklahoma has you know done exponentially better than Texas has the last decade that being said if Texas as as poorly as they could potentially play or have played in the past if they win this game it means so much more because Oklahoma does have those that that realization that they've reached the the top they've gotten to the to that ultimate you know end and just haven't quite got over the hump so they're looking at the playoffs so I'm with you there um very shocking uh I'm, I'm surprised about Oklahoma but my uh going into to my bad it's 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 a no-brainer here for me it's got to be Auburn um I didn't put this as an ugly because I don't think it was necessarily uh, Auburn fans will definitely say it was ugly I don't think it was necessarily ugly because I believed that this is how the game would go I mean you heard me all week um there were some iffy areas in there like you know what ifs if this you know goes wrong or right for Auburn then you know we could lose but you just knew that uh, Bo Nix and company had a tall, tall task ahead, going up against such a great defense. Um, really, uh, probably the best defense in the country. I know Alabama's going to have a chance to. They're going to have some, something to say about that, as will Clemson, and, and I'm sure Ohio State will too. Um, but yeah, and and even going back to it, it's the same old, same old. Auburn has really struggled against Georgia when they're in the top ten, and they they have these high profile matchups. They felt like they had the quarterback play this year, but they have failed to run the ball effectively since Carryon Johnson beat us back in Georgia back in 2017. I said us. That's I take that back. Um, it's they got to figure that. And Tank Bigsby looked okay, but you got to give some some got to relieve some pressure from Bo Nix, and that comes on the ground. And you just knew that they got whipped up front. They really didn't have a single player that I would switch with one of one of Georgia's players. So it's got to be Auburn. I'm sure they'll be back. They they you know they're they're a great team. They always pull great talent. But you got to be shaking your head and going, well, Gus Malzahn, is he in the frying pan now? You you don't know. It's it's a much 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 of the same the last four years. So my bad is Auburn. All right, there you go. And finally, our ugly performance of the week. Pierce, my ugly performance of the week is players celebrating before they get into the end zone. When they have a clear-cut path, they're outrunning the defenders, and then they start taunting and celebrating prior to actually crossing the goal line. And we saw it happen twice this past weekend. I can probably count on one hand the amount of time I've seen it happen, at least at the college level, because those kids are, you know, they know better. You know, Maybe a little bit the pros because they feel like they got a little bit of a swagger, but you, the college level, you don't typically see that happen in both the Kentucky game and the Abilene Christian game. Uh, not great in, for either of those players. I'm sure they got chewed out and are dealing with it uh, at practice this week but I mean you're not Usain Bolt what are you doing like taunting the crowd prior to and first of all there's not even a crowd to taunt what are you doing the, the five people in the stands you're taunting what, what are you doing that's so stupid uh, if you're gonna throw up a deuces you gotta cross the goal line first but but just do your job just get it done that's that's pathetic absolutely ugly I, I don't even know what to say about that that's just ridiculous Love that. Love that one. Yeah, it's a bad look when you throw up uh, the deuces sign or whatever you're saying, taunting that defender coming back or the crowd and you get caught. It's it's not a good look. My ugly of the week, I, I'm torn over two. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna pivot here. I'm actually going to say Oklahoma's defense. 
Really, really struggling. Much of the same, like we said about Auburn. This team fails to get it done on the defense side of the ball. I was going to say Spencer Rattler's Heisman chances because I thought I thought Spencer Rattler in this offense had a legit chance to to put up numbers. And but then I went and looked at his statistics, and he, he you know he, he's made some dumb decisions, some some young early freshman you know redshirt freshman type decisions, and that's always tough to overcome when you're you know maybe not the upper echelon like they have been in the past. But their defense, he's not getting much support from his defense, and that's tough. They gave up over 550 yards of offense against Iowa State, um, uh, you know, 480 yards or 470, somewhere around there against Kansas State, two teams that tend to kind of play, rely on a little bit better defensive play and just kind of ball control, and and to give up that many yards to those two teams, is that's a tough look, and Oklahoma is uh, is floundering right now. I think they could, I mean, by all accounts, they could lose three to four more games. So this defense needs to turn it around, and they need to figure it out quickly. Absolutely. Well, that's our good, bad, and ugly performances of the week. Let's get into our breakdown of the entire slate of games that we picked for week five. Pierce, we haven't been doing a tally necessarily on the season, but we did go through and we looked at what we finished with our record. Uh, if you wanted to go back and reference the picks that we made, you can do that on Instagram at Brag and Pod. Uh, we, we post our picks every single week there or go listen to last week's episode. Um, but I went five and five on the week. You went uh, four and six. Not good. Not well, good. I this at least I fifty percent. Yeah, this whole season's not been great for me. So you know, hey, it's been a weird season. That's fine. Uh, I do have bragging rights for this week. We'll have to go through and do the whole season and get you uh, get that uh, tally going for the full season. Um, but I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Fifty percent's not that terrible. Nothing to scoff at. Hey, it means I got a little something something going. Um, let's go into it though. We're starting off with the first game we picked was the South Carolina Gamecocks and the Florida Gators. Florida was riding high. Uh, and they have reason to. Their offense looks pretty, pretty good. Um, I'll put this this. I'll put it this way: as someone who follows a team pretty closely that plays in the SEC East, and this is a big rivalry, uh, the Kyle Trask to Kyle Pitts connection is going to be a little bit of a problem. Uh, that is uh, lethal, to say the least. They threw for uh, they've or they've connected rather for six touchdowns in the first two games which is pretty good. They, they definitely have each other's number. That's an, uh, you know, an awesome thing for Kyle Trask to be able to air it out to. He's kind of emerged as a potential uh, Heisman finalist. A little sleeper pick there. Uh, we'll see how he finishes out the rest of the year. Uh, he went 21 of 29 passes, 268 yards. But to me, Pierce, Pierce, the real story is that in the midway through the fourth quarter, South Carolina found themselves down 14 points. Now, we know, we've watched Mike Bobo offense before. He doesn't believe in the up-tempo. He believes in, you know, slower, deliberate play. But you're down by 14. And the, what what transpired was an utter lack of uh, awareness and clock management. And it's ultimately the reason why I think Muschamp's not cut out to be a head coach. 18 plays... 74 yards, it took 7 minutes and 23 seconds off the clock for South Carolina to do that drive. You have to have a sense of urgency. What was that? I mean, it was just an utter lack, like I said, of awareness, of, of any kind of urgency, um, and it showed that, that, you know, the difference between a good coach and a bad. And that's just, is if you want to point to why Muschamp can't make it work at the schools when he's the head coach, point to that situation right there. Not great. Uh, it ended up, um, you know, it wasn't what lost the game for them, but it certainly didn't help. And so South Carolina's got to get it together. They play Vandy next week, but then they go, let's see, after that they have Auburn, LSU, and Texas A&M. Those could all three be losses. If for some reason Vandy was able to pull it off for South Carolina, they'd start 0-6. Now I got to believe that'd get Muschamp fired. Gone. Yeah, Gone. Wouldn't 100%. make it back. Wouldn't make it back to Columbia. Mullen, on the other hand, is doing pretty good. They've got to figure out their defensive issues. Florida does. They give up 329 yards to South Carolina. Uh, and, and, you know, South Carolina is nothing to scoff at necessarily on offense, but they're not great either. So you can't do that. It, it just kind of goes to show you with what Kyle Trask said uh, after the game. He said, we expect to score every single time we have the ball. Well, when you play defense like Florida plays defense, you're going to have to score every single time you have the ball in order to, uh, you know, outlast some of these opponents. Uh, they have Georgia in a few weeks. They do go to Texas A&M next week. That could be an interesting game as well. So uh, all in all, good for the Gators. They uh, they are going to continue to go on with this momentum, but they definitely do have some issues and aren't, aren't uh, infallible this year. 
Yeah, you you look at this this Florida defense, and that's the question mark. Because um, I agree with everything you just said. Kyle Trask, he's very efficient. He just has such a high command of this offense right now. Um, and and you you get the sense when he drops back that it's not only going to be completed, but it's going to be to the number like to the guy that has the best chance to make a big play. And they have some weapons. I mean, Tony Pitts. I mean, they've got some weapons. The 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 one question mark, if I have any on offense, and I do have one, this is the glaring one. They really didn't run the ball that well against uh, South Carolina. Now, I know they had a good clip, at, at least Damian Pierce did, going for 5.7, but you know, you look at it, and they didn't try to rush the ball that, all that much. Now, they scored so quickly um, and so often that that kind of, they didn't have uh, as many possessions as I think they would like, and that would warrant uh, a 100-yard rusher. Um, but you look at it and, and I think I question, I think this is a loss for both teams and here's why I thought South Carolina would come in and, and maybe challenge if Florida was questionable on defense and maybe, uh, coming riding high after the win against Ole Miss. And then I thought also on the same side, it could be, you know, I just thought South Carolina would play a little bit better. I think it's a loss for South Carolina because they didn't really play all that. They weren't really competitive. But I think it was also a loss on Florida's side where they just failed to stomp on the throat of South Carolina, and you need that. When you're a good team, that's what you do to teams that are inferior to you. So a lot to be be learned from Florida uh, in the weeks ahead. I think we know uh, good enough about South Carolina, but um, interesting game to say the least. Pierce, your TCU Horn Frogs get it done in Austin against the number nine Texas Longhorns. The final of that was thirty-three to thirty-one. I'll be honest with you, this game we looked up at one point. You know, we got the two TV situation going, and uh, we looked up at one point, and TCU and Texas were midway through the first quarter, and some of these games were like nearing down close to halftime. I think it was crazy how slow this was moving, and that was because holy heck, was there a lot of penalties? I mean, it took three tries to just get the dang kick off. The penalties wouldn't let up throughout the entirety of the game. It was uh, sloppy and it was slow. And ultimately, though, what it comes down to is the fact that TCU was able to get it done in Austin. Like I said, they give the Longhorns their first loss of the season and now Texas if you're Texas you're looking at you lose next week to Oklahoma you're out of it you, you don't have a shot now if they win and they go on a run they potentially could get in but you know if they if they uh if they lose like I said to Oklahoma then they're out and you might potentially look at the TCU Horn Frogs potentially having a shot I don't know they'd have to uh, go on a run after their first loss but Duggan looked pretty good uh the Frogs were able to shut down Ellinger which was great and uh, ultimately like I said the frogs roll in the, in this uh, game and get it done versus a, a Texas team that most of everybody hates. So good for TCU to take down the bad boys. Very interesting dynamic between these two teams. And here's why I say this or say that Texas doesn't have a natural rival rivalry with TCU. However, every single player on TCU's team and in that program and on that staff and in that, at that school has a deep connection with Texas. Rightfully so. And I feel like it just shows TCU just plays with a, a, a different edge when they get into this game. And Texas just doesn't look like they want to get up for it. And you're right. It was super sloppy. Um, very Downright ugly to watch the first quarter. It didn't get much better, but it got a little bit better. Um, you know, you, you saw it, Duggan. He provided a spark for this team. Uh, he can do stuff, do things with his legs that that are important when things break down. Because not everything's going to be pretty this year. You know, they're still figuring pieces out to their offensive line as well as uh, you know, some receivers they're breaking in. So, I think I think the big thing, the big takeaway here is TCU won this game because they didn't turn it over. They didn't turn it over. They, you look at the two key plays of the game, <clears throat> and one was the fumble on the goal line. Texas had a chance to win that game. The fumble on the goal line, the the poor uh, ball ball possession there from from uh, the running back from Texas. I'm going blank on his name. I just had it. Um, he had a good game too, uh, but you know, unfortunate event there. You also had a, a, a key pick. Um, from Ellinger and and that that's what it boiled down to. TC just played a little bit tighter as as poorly as they played and undisciplined as they played uh with the penalties. They didn't turn it over, um which was uh the key to this game in a in a downright ugly affair, but 
yeah, TCU had that motivation, and they came out with a victory. So um, good on them. All right, Pierce. Moving back to the SEC, the Missouri Tigers and the number 21 Tennessee Volunteers in Rocky Top. Tennessee gets it done 35-12. to 12. They extend their win streak to eight. It's tying Notre Dame for the longest active win streak in the nation. Never thought I'd be saying that for Tennessee, but much better start to their season than last year. Uh, that's an understatement to say the least. And it's in large part by the fact that fifth-year quarterback Jarrett Garantano is getting it done for them. And the run game looks strong. It's able to open up the passing game for him. Their O-line looks nasty. You already alluded to it. Cade Mays getting in there makes everything kind of bolsters that O-line, gives Garantano the time to be able to make those passes, gives some holes for the running backs to be able to open up the passing game. They look good. They look good on offense. Uh, they were able to convert some fourth downs. Uh, it definitely improved from South Carolina, that's for sure. Um, now, you know, you can sit there and you can say, hey, you know, it's it's Mizzou, are they that good? But still, it doesn't matter. Tennessee is rolling right now, and yes, they still have their hardest games of the season, but they're heading into te- or to Georgia next week feeling pretty, pretty good about the way that they're performing. Uh, Pruitt definitely has got this team back feeling high, and uh, who knows what the rest of the season stands for them, but right now, I mean, it's, it's it looks really good right there on Rocky Top. Yeah, I already hit on this game, so I'm not going to go too in-depth. The key to the key to Tennessee was uh, their rushing offense. They they ran the ball really well. I think I said Eric Gray ran for 130 plus yards. He ran for 105, but he had a 6.6 uh, per carry average. That's that's incredible. Um, Ty Chandler also added 90, and and Tennessee did what they needed to do, um, and they enforced their will. I, I actually think this was one of my more impressive games. Why I put them as the good this week. Um, you have a team that a lot of people question if they can if they're actually on the right track and. Sure enough, they, they sure look like it. So, good win on them. I still question if they can throw the ball effectively enough to, to upset some some big-time teams. Uh, but the ground game is the first piece to the puzzle. So, um, great, great showing by the, uh, by the Volunteers. The Baylor Bears and the West Virginia Mountaineers had to go all the way to overtime to get this done, Pierce, but West Virginia pulls it out 27-21. to 21. Uh, I didn't really get a chance to watch much of this. It was a, there was a lot going on at one, uh, or at, at all at uh, the same time, I should say. Um, but I'm seeing right now it was a couple of missed field goals, uh, a lot of penalties from Baylor. So if they clean some of that up, this Baylor Bears, I mean, we, we gave them a hard time with their hire of their new head coach and, and the fact that they lost out uh, on the on a Matt Rule who brought them back to prominence. But Baylor still looks pretty uh, good in the Big 12, uh, you know, have to go to overtime to get this done. What's It's a thriller there in Morgantown. Uh, Brewer did have a couple of interceptions. You'd like to see that clear up, clean up. You'd like to make your field goals, and you'd like to have less penalties. But like I said, this Baylor Bears team isn't nothing, isn't anything to scoff at. Uh, West Virginia, for what it's worth, I'm trying to see who they have coming up uh, and see if there's any chance that they could Okay, so they have Kansas next. So there's, uh, there's, you know, they're looking at being three and one here in the next few weeks. That's pretty good for uh, West Virginia. I don't have a ton to say about this one, but like I said, uh, you know, you, you got to have uh, some confidence if you're if you're Baylor when you're looking at the rest of the Big Twelve. Incredibly mixed emotions for me on this game. A because one of my locks of the week was Baylor minus three, and you hit on it. Those missed field goals. There was one blocked, maybe two blocked. Um, I mean, the the win was there. The cover was there. Everything was there. That being said, when you really dive into this game, if you watched it or if you're just looking at the stats now for the people at home, Baylor got outplayed. They just got outplayed. I mean, they only had 27 rushing yards. 27. I don't care what conference you're in. That's not going to get it done, especially when you only throw for 192 passing yards. That's terrible. 298 total yards compared to 421 for West Virginia. Problem with West Virginia is, and they they continue continually do this, they turn the ball over. They lost two fumbles. They also had two picks. That was the difference. Baylor got some good field position. This was a sloppy game. Uh, a lot of the Big 12 games were, if not all. Um, good for West Virginia to finally get this, uh, or to get this win. Uh, but... It could have gone either way, but West Virginia deserved this uh, based off just watching them and knowing that how much better they played than Baylor. They just shot themselves in the foot a couple times. So um, interesting to see how these two teams moving forward because I agree, Baylor Baylor's not not bad and they're pretty disciplined. So even they can win games like this in low scoring or low scoring and maybe when they don't have that offensive output that you would expect. 
Um, and then West Virginia, on the other hand, they they have these big games, and then they also squander it away with penalties and 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 picks and turnovers and that sort of thing. So, um, not surprised by this game, but it was it was an interesting one going into overtime. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Pierce. I, I really toyed with this next one, making it my ugly. The number 13 Texas A&M Aggies and the number two Alabama Crimson Tide. Nobody thought necessarily that Texas A&M had a shot, but 52 to 24. Now I realize you were in Bryant Denny, and and Alabama looks incredible this year. I mean, they look so so good. But you are paying if you're Texas A&M, you've got a crap ton of money. You've got incredible facilities you're paying your head coach 75 million dollars and this is the performance you get they should be better than this this is year three if Jimbo was worth his salt if he was going to be able to get it done in college station he'd be getting it done and he's not getting it done and and I understand like I said this wasn't going to necessarily be uh, a game that anybody thought they were going to win but to get blown out to barely beat Vanderbilt the week before um, they've got Florida next week that could be ugly as well I mean I don't say this lightly but but I would put Jimbo I, I you should put Jimbo a little bit on the hot seat now I don't know who they're going to go get necessarily he's won a national championship you know he can do it but he also left the Florida State program in shambles and you're toying with danger there if you're Texas A&M I, I don't like I said Pierce I, I, I almost made it my ugly because and I, I have a little bit of ill will towards Jimbo but Texas A&M you've got to figure it out Alabama on the other hand is unbelievable they, they just decide how many points they want to score they go out and do it they they got it to a little bit of a slow start on defense they did let Texas A&M put up 14 points that seems a little bit uncharacteristic for them but it didn't matter because they were off to the races from the get-go on offense uh you know Mac Jones looks good Najee Harris of course they've they've re- they just reload at Alabama it's gonna be you know uh, I'm excited to see Alabama and Clemson in the national championship. Go ahead and mark it down. I'm excited to see Alabama and Clemson in the national championship uh, because really? they are just that good. Discrediting Ohio State. I know we haven't seen them yet, but. Yeah. I kind of, based off, now I know Clemson hasn't gone full bore yet, but well, based off he, what I've seen, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ohio State came out and blitzed every single team. And So so I'm not saying that Ohio State's going to make playoffs. Don't be wrong. Yeah. But, I, but they're going to get one of these teams. True. That's true. Unless they get number one, which that would ha- they would literally have to go out and blow out all of their opponents. Because maybe I'm thinking more uh, I, with my heart here. I would hope that the committee looks at teams that went out and played more games than teams that played less. And they, you know, you got to Clemson. It's going to take a lot for Ohio State to jump in later in the season and jump Bama or Clemson. So to me, you know, Clemson or Alabama is going to have to get through probably Georgia twice or a good Florida offense um, one time. So we'll see what that looks like. But I I really just think that when it comes down to it, Ohio State's not better than Clemson or Alabama. So no matter who they draw, I think that they went, they lose Ohio State loses. And then it's going to be, you know, whoever's number four, which, you know, at this point I would put in a Florida or a Georgia and then you they lose as well. I just think Clemson and Alabama are the two best teams in the nation. It's not even close. It's just interesting because I, I, I keep thinking every time I want to lean Clemson, I keep thinking about that first playoff game. Ohio State had all the chances in the world to win that game. So that'll be a fun matchup if, if we get to see it again. Let's, let's hope. Going back to the game we were covering, you're right. This game, you, you expected it, but at the same time, you also thought Texas A&M would put up a better fight. I've been hearing it for, for weeks, if not months now. Mac Jones is better than a lot of people give him credit for. He's v- highly efficient. And you saw it this week. He has, throws an incredibly, incredibly catchable and just great deep ball. Um, and, and when you have some of the weapons you have on the outside, also paired with the fact that You've got two incredible running backs, if not a slew of running backs, with one of the best offensive lines. So teams are going to be selling out to stop the run. And A&M didn't give up a crazy amount of yards on the uh, on the ground. Alabama was effective enough and did really well efficiently efficiently on the ground. But then they just took advantage of of going deep and and hitting these playmakers. And and that's a scary proposition for teams to to cover these. Uh, you know, Jalen Waddle. You want you want to talk about a so, so sleeper Heisman? Yeah, throw him in there. Um, I, he went for uh, he went for 142 yards this week, and then they had they finally had their third receiver step up 
Mechie. 181 yards uh, uh, receiving on five five receptions. If this kid can can continue to uh, put up a third of that number, this 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 is a scary Alabama team. Their defense is, I think, as good as they are. They're top five, if not top three or two. They're underrated. Um, I, I still don't think people are talking about them enough. It's Alabama teams for real, and that's a scary thing knowing that they had two of the last two years. The number 12 North Carolina Tar Heels Pierce had to hold on to beat the Boston College Eagles. They haven't been in play. Mac Brown and company haven't been in play since September 12th due to coronavirus complications. So this was their first game back after a few weeks. But like I said, they held on in large part, actually all credit to Trey Morrison, the North Carolina safety. He intercepted Phil Jerkovich. I think I'm saying that right. Jerkovich. I've been calling him Jerkovich. I don't know. I think it's Jerkovich. I think you're right. Jerkovich. <laughs> he was going, they were going, Boston College scores, they were going for two, right, uh, at the end of the game, 45 seconds left, and Trey Morrison intercepts the ball, runs it back for a safety, ices this one, 26 to 22. Now, I don't think all hope is lost for North Carolina. I think that, like I said, they had to hold on to get it done versus Boston College, but they haven't been in play for a few weeks. They do have to play six games straight now all the way through Thanksgiving, so there's no breaks. There's no let-ups for them. They're going to have to keep it rolling. Um, but ultimately, I think they were able to get it done, and, and you know, it's the mental fortitude of a good team or, or a you know halfway decent team at least to be able to hold on and, and grit those uh, those wins out. So they uh, hand Boston College their first loss of the season, and uh, Mac Brown and company keep rolling. Yeah, this game went very much how I thought it would. You hit it, you hit the nail on the head there. UNC hadn't played for a few week, couple weeks now. You thought they were going to be rusty. They weren't hitting on all cylinders in their first game, and 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 even though Boston College didn't perform well against Texas State last week, I'm still pretty high on Jerkovic here. And and they've got four offensive line. They have four offensive line that are carryover from last year. Um, yes, they have brand new staff, but I think it reinvigorates this this team. Um, you know, this was a, this was an interesting game. Uh, UNC definitely uh, definitely had the advantage on the ground, uh, but Jerkovic kept kept them in the game. They had some uh, some turnovers, and interested to see how Sam Howell b- bounces back because. This is two games in a row now when people thought he could be a, a legit Heisman contender where he really hasn't shown the flash that I think everyone thought. Um, so two teams, a team in Boston College, I'm, I'm excited to watch moving forward because um, I think they're underrated still. And then a team that I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see if they can pick it up and, and actually compete in ACC. The Navy Midshipman Pierce Wolf. They lose to the Air Force Falcons 42-7. Now, this is Navy's second loss of the season. Air Force being their first game or given the first win. Uh, it was a little bit of an uphill battle for Navy going into it. They announced prior to the game that starting quarterback Dalen Morris was out, not related to COVID-19, but for other health reasons. Tiger Goslin, I think is his name. He uh, he wasn't able to ever really settle in for this Navy offense. Uh, but credit to Air Force, they had all the time in the world to prepare for Navy, and they came out ready to roll. Uh, you know, put up some big numbers, big time numbers, and uh, now are prepped and uh, poised, rather I should say, uh, to potentially win the Armed Forces Cup. So good for Air Force in this win over Navy. Yeah, this was a a wild wild result. Um... You know, you knew Air Force had it in them. Uh, they they've been very good the last five plus years. That being said, you got a little bit of uh, a fugazi, I guess, at a at a Navy in in the sense that they really struggled against BYU. You're starting to see BYU is is maybe the best team out of the Power Five conferences. Um, so how much do you discredit about that? Plus, they didn't have that quote unquote tackling during practice. They come back, they beat a Tulane team who I think is a, a fairly good team in that conference. Um, so you expected them, they've got the reps under their belt and whatnot, and they came in and absolutely got blitzed. I think this was probably a little bit of... Actually, you know what, I don't know what to say about this one. I was going to say they hadn't been practicing against uh, the triple option, but they go against it every day. So not a good look for Navy. I, 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 I don't know what to make of this team. Air Force, good on them, especially coming out in their very first game of the season. Um, you know, Navy having two games under their belts, got, you know, have those in-game and, and real reps. Um, and this was a shellacking. No, no two words about it. Um, or no, no way around it. Navy, I think, think only had 
80 yards of, of rushing offense. Uh, that's not going to get it done when you're a triple option team. Not great for Navy, as you can tell. It was a, a nasty game to watch. Turned it off pretty early. So good on Air Force uh, getting this getting this win. We've already kind of talked about this game, but let's recap really quickly. The number 18 Oklahoma Sooners, Sooners, not Sooners, in Ames, lose to the Iowa State Cyclones 37-30. First loss for Oklahoma in Ames since 1960. First time that they've dropped back-to-back regular season games since 1999. So this Oklahoma team, like we said already, is is been good for the past few decades, at least decent, enough to get it all done. And this year, Pierce, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the COVID situation. I don't know if it's a lack of prep. I don't know if it's the rest of the Big 12 is just on the rise. But they look pedestrian at best, specifically on defense. They weren't able to get it done, uh, and and we've kind of already ragged them on that, so I won't go too much into it. But Brock Purdy looks great for um, Iowa State. Credit to their senior class for buying in. They come to the team when it's their three and nine, and uh, Matt Campbell totally gets them in ship shape, and they look like a pretty good team. Uh, Interesting fact, I will say, is that sophomore kicker for Oklahoma, I'm not going to even attempt to say his name, Gabe B-R-K-I-C. I'd say Burkich. Burkich? Burkick? I don't know. There's not enough vowels in his name. You're talking about me who mispronounces words like uh, time. Yeah, one time Pierce, I was about to say Pierce was at the grocery store one time and was asking the, the he had a list from our mom and he was asking the store clerk, where do I find all the right, thymine? Right. That's a little that's a little much. I, I don't you need to be embarrassed time? like that. All right. Well, you brought it up. Anyways, that's true. he had Fair a game. school record streak of 18 consecutive field goals right before halftime. His 54-yarder sailed right, wide right. Uh, he was the only FBS kicker to make all of his field goals and point after attempts in 2019. So that's just kind of the year Oklahoma's having. I mean, granted, 53, 54 yards is nothing to scoff at, but still, it's just kind of the year that Oklahoma's having, uh, and, and things don't look to be... It's not the, it's not a destiny year for Oklahoma, I'll say that. No, it's certainly not. And, and what's more alarming than anything is Oklahoma was up seven points in this game with about nine minutes to go, eight minutes to go. Um, they blew the lead. And then they gave up a touchdown, and they couldn't come back, and Rattler threw a pick. They did a similar thing last week. They blew a lead against Kansas State. They were up significantly more than against Iowa State. But regardless, they're just giving up too many uh, too many big plays, just too many just too many yards in, uh, in general on, on defensive side of the ball. And for an offense that is not at a, at a high level, like it's still at a very high level, but not at the – elite level that it's been in the past four years or so you got to have the defense step up a little bit and it's just not the case got to give credit to Iowa State Brock Purdy and company after that horrendous game against Louisiana Lafayette losing to go on the road and 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 beat uh, a TCU team who I think from all intents and purposes you saw is a very scrappy team and and is going to have a decent year in the Big 12 um and then to go and then to have that motivation you could have had a letdown spot against TCU. You get even more excited against Oklahoma. You're down. You don't give up. You come back. Um, good on Matt Campbell and company. This Iowa State team, and I, I hit on it after the first week, as bad as that loss was to UL Lafayette, what I say? It wasn't a conference game. So all their chips are still on the table. They can still win the Big 12. They can go undefeated in the Big 12. They theoretically could go undefeated from here on out and make it into the playoffs. So all the chips are still on the table for uh, Iowa State. Excited to see how they play moving forward and even more excited to see if uh, Oklahoma loses a couple more games. We had a rematch of the ACC championship this past weekend. The Virginia Cavaliers taking on the number one Clemson Tigers. The result of the ACC championship back in December was the Tigers taking down the Cavaliers 62-17. to This year, or this point of the season, I should say, a little bit better result for the Cavs. Uh, 41-23 to was the final of that game, but still, Clemson keeps rolling. They look pretty dominant. I mean, I, can't, I don't even really pay attention much to their games because I just kind of monitor the score and go, I'll catch the highlights later. I know that Trevor Lawrence is going to show out. Etienne's going to have a great game, and this defense is going to get it done. So uh, really good things from Clemson. Like I said, I think that they are the best or the second-best team in the nation, uh, but I'm going to give the nod to them and say they are the best due to the fact that uh, you know they've got a little bit of history on their side. But good things for them. 
better things for Virginia, and uh, I don't necessarily throw the baby out with the bathwater with them. You lost to a very, very good Clemson, but you kept it closer than in December, so good for you. Couldn't agree more, and that's why I'm excited for this week. Every It seems like every single week when, when Clemson is playing in the, in the ACC, I just don't care. I'm not tuned into their games, and it's a shame. It's a shame if you're a Clemson fan or a Clemson player or a Clemson staff. doesn't matter. If you're associated with that club, it's a shame because you should be playing these big-time games. These big-time games, when you've seen Clemson be in them, they're incredibly entertaining. So it's a shame on that front. So you're right. I, I don't tune into their games when they're just playing these mediocre teams because, you know, yes, they could get upset, and I'll flip it over if that's the case. But, um, you know, I just I just know and trust that Dabo and company, uh, along with Trevor Lawrence, Tra- Travis Etienne, they're, they're going to get it done, and, and that's what they do every week. Um, they're still breaking in some guys on defense, but they've got the talent to, to break them in, you know, and not throw them into the fire too, too quick. Um, I am surprised that Virginia covered this game. I'm not going to lie, especially considering they had uh, maybe their best team in 30, 40, 50 years last year. So, um, yeah, not too much more to add here. Just a workmanlike game from Clemson. Um, surprised they didn't cover, but, you know, at the end of the day, they're probably they're pulling these guys pretty early. So, um, Clemson is uh, all the bit of a championship team. And finally, for the big heavy hitter game of the week, the number seven Auburn Tigers and the number four Georgia Bulldogs were back for another edition of the Deep South's oldest rivalry. This was going to be a close game, all of the media would tell you. This was going to be a game that Auburn could upset Georgia. This was going to be a game that lived up to the hype, and it didn't. Georgia had Auburn's number from the get-go. I'll say this. It's not necessarily something that we're, uh, you know, foreign to seeing here with this Kirby Smart versus Gus Malzahn matchup. He just, Kirby Smart just has Gus's offense figured out. His defense, Pierce, dominant, dominant. They held, the game plan for Georgia coming into the game was you're going to have to force Bo Nix to throw and make mistakes. And the way you do that is you shut down the run game. And they did that. They only allowed 39 yards, I believe, total of uh, rushing yards on 22 carries. That's 1.4 yards per average per carry. Uh, Newsflash, you're not going to win a game, at least in the SEC, with those kinds of numbers. Good for the Georgia Bulldogs. Their defensive line looked amazing. Secondary looked good as well. Completed uh, Bonix just completed 21 of 40 passes for 177 yards. And his uh, streak of, I think he was going into the game at like 218 consecutive passes without an interception, was ended when uh, he was picked off late in the game. Stetson Bennett. Got to talk about Stetson Bennett really quickly. The mailman, former two-star recruit, walk-on. He transfers away from Georgia after competing with Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm uh, for the starting positions. Uh, he goes to a junior college, gets reps, comes back as a as a, a scholarship player. But everybody was like, "That's great. That's a great feel good story for him. Good. He'll be a great you know practice uh, squad uh, quarterback." And here he is thrown into the fire. His first SEC start under the lights in Athens, and he looked cool as a cucumber. Uh, I, I was going through Pierce watching highlights this morning, and it was just one of those things where he was never flustered. He, yeah, he had some questionable things. There were some routes early on in the game that you were going, okay, he either really messed that up or the receivers just were not on the same page as him, but they figured that out. He was able to get it done. And like I said, you know, the, the pass to me that I kind of sat up and I went, whoa, was when he was being run down. He was scrambling. He was being run down by two uh, Auburn players, and he throws it on the run, uh, cross, cross body to, I believe it was George Pickens, maybe? Kyrus. Kyrus Jackson, that's right. And uh, it, it just was beautiful, a beautiful pass. Now, I'm not saying that Georgia's going to necessarily win a national championship with Stetson Bennett the fourth at the helm. We, you know, but, but he looks really good. He, he looks really, really good. And even if this feel-good story ends tomorrow, good for this guy. And, uh, and he gets it done in a very deep-seated hatred rivalry. So, uh, you know, like I said, Gus Malzahn, he, he has better performances his teams have better performances versus Alabama than they do Georgia so hey take that for what you will go dogs crazy to think about um yeah a lot of storylines in this one obviously uh I I had been saying all week that if Auburn wanted to win this game I thought two things had to had to happen for them and that was either Bo Nix has to play out of this world which I didn't feel comfortable in 
or they were just going to have to have a few breaks, i.e., uh, or, you know, for example, turnovers uh, and those type of things, maybe some penalties, um, playing field position, because you knew that on the line of scrimmage, Georgia was just so much better on both sides of the ball than Auburn. Um, Auburn failed to rush for, for any sort of uh, consistency during this game. That's been a trend in the past since the only time that, that Gus Malzahn and company have beaten Georgia. Um, Bonix is... He's a good leader. He's not a great quarterback. He still throws off his back foot and on the run a little too much. Now he's great on the run. That's where he excels. But he's just throwing off balance too much when he does try and throw in the pocket. Um, and even when he extends a little bit, he's just not getting his feet set enough and, and often enough to, to, to get the job done. I think that's why he's had some errant passes. Now, he did only throw the, you know, have a, a, a pick, one pick. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, he was pressured all night. Uh, he, he got rid of a few balls that could have been sacks. Adam Anderson, unsung hero for Georgia, absolutely dominated uh, at the DN position, had two sacks on the day, had two more that Bo Nix somehow just slipped out of his arms. And I thought they were one of them was a fumble, but he did indeed throw it. Um, so that could have been four total if, if he hadn't gotten the ball out. Georgia's defense just too dominant here. Um, excited to see what Stetson can do, do moving forward. I have heard that a little inside info here. Daniels, they wanted to get him in the game if possible, but it wasn't going to be a pressing need because they knew that what Stetson brings to the table is huge for Georgia. He He's not an, a, 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 a Cam Newton or a Tim Tebow, but he does enough with his legs to provide something that that this offense has missed for for a few years for you could shoot you could say back to since DJ Shockley um he's he's actually a very subtly mobile quarterback and and you hit it that that throw to Kiris absolutely huge and and that was a free defensive end coming wasn't even picked up that's that um Stetson just lured in and then spun out of that's all him. That is literally all him. Um, so excited to see what Georgia can do moving forward. Hopefully Auburn can pick up the pieces here. Uh, they're going to have some uphill uh, sledding to do. But, you know, Auburn does get better as the year goes on, as, as do most teams. So um, went how I thought it would. But at the end of the day, excited to, uh, excited to see this Georgia team move on, especially knowing the question marks they have at quarterback. Absolutely. That's or gonna... lack thereof now. Sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. True. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, he looked absolutely defeated at the end of the game. Poor guy. Not. Um, I got one more ugly performance. I forgot to mention this uh, when we were going through the games, but ugly performance or bad performance, I guess you could qualify it as either. To those who picked the under in the TCU-Texas game, to lose that bet because of a last-second safety because Gary Patterson said, I don't want to even give them the opportunity to throw the long bomb. So he just has his quarterback run around, loop-de-loop, till he eventually runs out the back of the end zone and give him a safety. And that's how you lose the under? That's actually that's the best ugly of the entire weekend. That, as someone that uh, I'm not, I'm surprised I wasn't on that. Um, I would have been devastated, and it would have been up there with the worst uh, beat I've had in years. So. Absolutely, I'd be. Oh, like, that's frustrating. Meltdown. But hey, as a fan, I love it. it. Absolutely, it's just the way 2020 is. It just keeps giving. Hey, before we let you go, make sure you are following us on social media at Brag and Pod across all social media. Uh, I introed my new series I'm doing there on Instagram on Saturday mornings, releasing a watch schedule, what you should look for uh, for the for the uh, watch, or I'd rather what I'm doing is I'm breaking down the early slot, the afternoon slot, and the late slot of games and telling you one game to watch and one game to keep an eye on. Uh, so grab a mimosa and join me over there on Instagram at Pod and follow along on Twitter as we live tweet the games at Pod. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on any of the podcasts we put out. We are doing recaps every week, previews every week. We will have a Big 10 and a Pac-12 preview when the time comes. But we're also giving you quick hits of daily news as things change so quickly in 2020. We wanted to be able to keep you up to date, keep you semi-knowledgeable. So if you're not subscribed, you might miss out on one of those. We are available wherever you get podcasts. Uh, If we aren't, let me know, and I'll try to get us added to uh, wherever you like to listen to podcasts as well. But that is going to do it for us here at the Bragging Rights Podcast. I'm Madison. And I'm Pierce. Stay blessed, y'all.